We are in our fifth week of the Room for Doubt series, and I've been really looking forward to today. Uh, Mark Middleberg is our guest speaker, and uh, you're in for a treat. I want you to listen well and carefully. Uh, Fifteen years, Mark served as Minister of Evangelism at uh, Willow Creek Community Church, and he and Lee Strobel started there on the very same day and became fast friends, have been friends uh, for, uh, uh, well, ever since. And they've uh, corroborated on several different projects and books and writings and speakings, and for the last 30 years... Mark has been authoring books and speaking across the country and around the world on the very important topic of apologetics. Uh, if you know me at all, you know that I love that subject, that, that defense, that evidence for our faith. And so whenever I got a question that I'm struggling with, Mark is my go-to author. His books are such that uh, I always find something good to help me with those uh, issues. So would you help join me in welcoming Mark Middleberg with a good old Southern Indiana warm welcome. Well, thank you. It's so good to be here. I slid in this morning early, and uh, I appreciate you all coming out in spite of some of the freezing rain and uh, being with us today. Uh, when I, uh, this is my first time at this church. When I first got a call from Tom, uh, he invited me to speak, and I thought, that's great. Maybe he'll let me speak on you know, how to have joy in the Lord or how to how, you know, live the abundant Christian life. Or, and then I asked him, he said, no, we want you to speak on pain and suffering and evil. And so I go, okay, <laughs> I'm there. So here I am to talk about all those hard subjects. And uh, it is challenging, you know, because the world is not right. Uh, people bash at each other and they don't listen and they bare their fangs and it seems like they're more ready to pick up rocks and throw them at each other rather than try to understand each other. And that's just Congress I'm talking about now. <laughs> uh, and it gets worse in other places. If you ever question whether or not mankind is sinful or, you know, this race has fallen, just go on any social media site and read the comments section, right? I mean, someone writes an article and then, you're an idiot. No, you're worse. And then it gets worse from there. It's like, man, things are screwed up. And that's the world we live in. I mean, there's hate, there's violence, uh, school shootings, uh, things happen you know, in malls and you know, the Las Vegas shootings. I mean, it's horrific. Wars and, uh, you know, outbreaks. And then we have all the natural disasters, you know, freezing rain, uh, we had earthquakes in Thailand uh, this last week. Did you see the video of the buildings? It was unbelievable. Uh, I just spoke last weekend in Houston, and of course they had Hurricane Harvey. I, uh, Lee Strobel, my friend, lives there, and they got like, in a week, they got 50 inches of rain. Can you imagine that? And the flooding, I know you saw it on TV, the fires that were all over the western U.S., it's like, what is going on? What is wrong with this world? And then it gets more personal. And I'm, I'm sure in a, any group this size, some of you are going through very hard things in your life. Uh, maybe health issues or some kind of great loss. Uh, a friend that uh, you, know, you love is, is uh, you know, suffering or has died. Uh, this all became very personal to me just this last fall after a little over 10 years 
of one of my best friendships with a guy, I think we have a picture, yeah. Um, the guy on the right, is his name's Nabil Qureshi, and I met him about 11 years ago when he was 24 years old. And just a great guy, um, Muslim background, went through a spiritual journey before I met him uh, and had become a Christian. Later wrote a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Maybe you've heard of it. If you haven't, it's just a great book on the whole question of Islam and Christianity and it gives you why he chose to follow Jesus. Uh, he later got hired with um, Ravi Zacharias, and he and Ravi taught together all over the world. Nabil and I taught together. That was in Florida, that picture. And then about a year and a half ago, this healthy young man at age 33 didn't feel good, and he went in and got checked. He had stage four stomach cancer. And he fought it bravely for a year, and this last September... We were there for his funeral. And this guy, one of my best friends, just a great guy that God's using. And, you know, the natural question, the question I asked and lots of other people asked, why God? Why do you let this stuff happen? And, you know, I, I think that's a very natural question. Um, but I want to say a couple things preliminarily before I dive in. Um, one is, I mean, it's natural to ask the question, but if you're in pain right now and you're suffering, you may not mostly need a sermon. I mean, I'm still going to give it, but this may not be the main prescription the doctor would order for you today. You may just need a friend. You may need solitude. You may need just, you know, someone to hold your hand. You may need a small group, a, a place where you can just, you know, cry or pray or, you know, talk it through. And that's why I'm so glad I'm giving a talk like this in a church and not just some classroom somewhere. Because this is a loving environment where people want to reach out and share and walk with each other through the kinds of things you're going through. But you can't suffer in isolation. So you got to let people know what you're facing, what, what you're dealing with. And I urge you to do that. Um, and I think th then you'll get what you probably need the most. Loving friendship. People that will pray with you. Maybe people that will bring food or, or whatever it is you need. So don't suffer alone. The other preliminary I want to say is, you know, when people say, why God? And they're saying, why does God allow this? It's tempting to kind of lock in and then get angry at God and begin to doubt God and question him. And some people, uh, and it happens more often than I wish it did, sometimes people reach a point of saying, I don't believe in God anymore. As if that solves the problem. It's like all this suffering in the world, I just, I, I don't believe in God anymore. And I say, okay, before you take that leap, have you really thought through what you're jumping into here, what that worldview says? Because atheism does not solve the problem of evil. Um, I think as Christians, we have some good things to say about it. It's not, it's not a problem we solve like that where I, I give you the answer now and you go, oh, snap, why didn't someone say that earlier? And then now, it's, now I feel good about it. I, don't, I can't do that. But I think we have some good things to say that help shed light on this issue. But atheism, if, if, you, if you say I'm just going to reject God 
And now all of a sudden it's like, all right, I don't believe in God. That, you still suffer. Now you just suffer without any help. And more than that, you know what the worldview is where this leads when you deny God? Let me quote the guy who's probably the most famous atheist in the world, Richard Dawkins. And he describes the universe that in his worldview he thinks he's living in. He says, there is no design, no purpose, no evil and no good. Nothing, and here's the key phrase, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And then he says, your DNA neither knows nor cares what you're going through. And as biological machines, in his view, all we can do is dance to our DNA. How's that for a rosy uh, philosophy of life? I mean, think about this. There's no purpose, no design. There's no creator. You're not here for a reason. You're not on a mission from God. There is no God. There's no mission. There's no meaning. And there's no evil and no good according to that worldview because there's no divine standard. There's no objective moral reason for morality. So there's no good or evil. It's just survival of the fittest. Good luck. Sorry, Nabil, you didn't make it. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. I don't know about you, but I don't have enough faith to buy into that worldview. And I think our hearts tell us otherwise. I think our hearts tell us this may be hard and I may be going through hard things, but I think there's still meaning somewhere in this. I think there's a purpose for my life. I think there's got to be better things ahead. There's got to, we have this innate sense that there's more. And I think that's from God. And I just, you know, how do you live a consistent atheistic philosophy? I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to try. Nietzsche tried and went crazy. Um, so, you know, ultimately atheism denies the reality of evil. I'd rather have a problem of evil and try to address it than deny it altogether. And I think what we're dealing with, you know, as Christians, faces reality much better. Um, I used the phrase a minute ago, I, I want to try to shed light on this. Again, we're not going to solve it completely, but the, the shedding light reminds me of a story of Lee Strobel. Uh, when he lived in Chicago, he and Leslie one uh, day took a little vacation and they went up to Door County, Wisconsin. Maybe you've been there. The time I went, it rained. Um, and the time he was describing, it rained horribly. And he said, we're on the road, and it's just pouring, you know, raining cats and dogs, and it got foggy. And it reached the point where it was really freaking him out, because he said, I couldn't even see the road. And he said, I just wanted to stay between hitting things, you know, and just try to not get hurt. He said, I really wished I could get off the road altogether, but I couldn't figure out how to do it without being dangerous. I thought if I went in the shoulder, someone will think that that's the road and follow me and run into me. He said, I didn't know what to do. It was just confusion. And maybe you've been there driving and you've been in that situation. It's a helpless feeling. But then he said, I was so glad when a big truck, a semi-truck came up behind me and then passed me very confidently. He said, apparently, from his higher vantage point, the driver could see above the fog. And so he said, I didn't know what else to do, but I locked in on his taillights. And I just followed him through the storm to safety. That's a picture of what I want to try to do today. I want to give you some points of light 
that we can lock in on that, that don't answer everything. There's still fog and confusion on this issue. But they give us some things that can help guide us through the storm and help us make some sense out of it. So what I want to do is give you quickly, we're going to go through seven truths or seven what I call points of light. And I hope this will help, again, shed light on this issue. So the first one is this. It says, the world is as Jesus predicted or as he described it. Jesus gave us a, a realistic picture of what we're dealing with. You know, in leadership circles, they say the first thing you got to do if you're going to fix a problem is diagnose the situation. You want to know what's wrong. A good doctor first diagnoses the disease, right? Well, Jesus diagnosed the problem by saying this, and this is John 16, 33. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. It's not if, it's when. Uh, some translations say you'll have tribulations. This world is messed up. Jesus said, you're going to go through hard times. And thankfully, he didn't end his sentence there. He said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So it doesn't mean as Christians we're not going to go through hard times. But it's, he's saying, I get it. You can lean on me. I'll help you go through this. We'll go through it together. Now, the reason I highlight this on the first point is because there are other worldviews that don't give you a realistic picture. I, I already mentioned atheism, which takes away all meaning whatsoever. I don't think that's a realistic picture. But within religious circles, you get bad or false pictures. For instance, about I think about 150 years ago, a woman named Mary Baker Eddy, uh, she taught a bunch of things. She started a religion called Christian Science, which is not really Christian. It's not really science. <clears throat> but it's a uh, religious sect. And what Mary Baker Eddy taught was that sin and sickness are illusions. You got to wake up from this bad dream and realize those things aren't real, she said. And her followers many of whom trusted her, therefore rejected medical help because sin and sickness are illusions. I'm not really sick. I just need to wake up. And so they rejected medical help, and many of them have died premature deaths because of her bad teaching. Um, in the New Age movement, they often teach that, you know, whatever you believe, you create reality for yourself. Whatever happens to you, you must have wanted it. And I have a friend named Deb who lives out in San Diego. <clears throat> and I said, did you really believe that? She said, oh, absolutely. She said, my mom was strong in the New Age movement. And she, she taught me it's mind over matter. Whatever you believe, you create your own reality. Which is kind of a fun philosophy when you're successful. Like, look what I did. Look what I created here. But it's not such a great point of view when things go bad. And in her story, an interesting story, her mom owned the first New Age bookstore in San Diego. It was this beautiful bookstore with all this occultic stuff that they sold. And uh, she, again, it was, everything was going well until one day the bookstore burned down. And this woman who had been taught mind over matter Deb is standing in this bookstore after they put the fire out and she said my feet were in several inches of wet sooty water from you know the fire hoses and she said I'm looking around at this charred mess and the first thought she said that hit my head was 
I don't remember choosing this reality for myself. And that was her wake up into reality. And ultimately, she came to Jesus, who tells her the truth, who says, in this world, that kind of stuff's going to happen, but come with me, I'll walk you through it. And Deb became a committed follower of Christ. So I like following a Savior who gets it and who tells the truth. Second point of light, <clears throat> and this one's key. Evil was not created or caused by God. See, because some people will say, well, look, you, you guys say that God created everything, right? Right? Well, there's evil in the world, so God must have created evil. He must have wanted it. It's God's fault. Well, not so fast. Um, this is a little more complicated. God did not create evil, but he created beings who brought with them the potential for evil. Here's what I mean. God wanted people. He wanted human beings, us, who would be able to love him and relate to him and have a friendship with him. He wanted real people, not dolls, not puppets, not robots. So, but part of being real people who could love him was giving us the freedom to not love him. Because I don't know if you've thought about this, but real love is always free. In other words, real love is never forced. Uh, I've been married 34 years. The reason my wife, Heidi's love, means so much to me is because she didn't have to choose me. And no one's got a gun to her head you know, forcing her to stay with me. Right? She, her love means a lot to me because she chooses to be and remain my wife. And same, you know, she views me the same way. That's the way real love works. Um, think about it. There is no such thing as forced love. Forced love is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction of terms. It's like jumbo shrimp. Is it jumbo or is it shrimp? You know, it's like country music. Is it country or is it music? <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. Um, is it forced? In which case it's not love. Might be rape, but it's not love. Or is it love, in which case it's not forced, it's free. Love is voluntary. God wanted people who could love him, and the only way he could create us to, to be able to love him was by giving us freedom not to. And that's the characters he put in the garden named Adam and Eve. And he gave them the choice to, to stay in fellowship with him or to disobey him and do their own thing. They disobeyed and did their own thing. And before we get too mad at them, let's just admit we've all done the same thing. So God did not create evil, but he did create a situation where evil could come into existence through our disobedience. And that is what's happened. So let's not blame God for that. Uh, let's realize that it's all because of love, a loving God that wanted to have real relationship and friendship with us, that he was willing to risk things that led to the evil we have all around us. Now, one question I want to hit before I go on to my next point is, I've had people ask me, they say, well, wait a minute, God's omniscient, right? He knows all things, he knows the future, yes. Well, he knew we were going to disobey him, so why did he create us? And I had that question asked to me once at my church in Denver. I live in Colorado. And I was one time walking into the church, and this woman was kind of in a hurry. She was leaving. It was a weekday. She's going by me, 
And she goes, Mark, Mark, I don't have time right now, but I've always wanted to ask you something. I go, what is it? She said, if God knew we were going to sin, why did he create us in the first place? And I, I only had enough time as I was going through the door to turn back and go, well, why did you have kids? <laughs> Think about it. If you're a parent, why did you knowingly bring another little sinner into the world? And don't look at each other right now in front of the kids and go, yeah, why did we do that? <laughs> that's, not, that's not a good idea. But really, seriously, you knew when you decided to have a family that you were going to bring more flawed human beings who would be little sinners into the world, and yet you had kids anyway. Why did you do that? And I think the answer is obvious. Because you trusted and hoped that you could raise them right and help the good to overcome the evil and have a great relationship with your kids and a great family. And I hope and trust you're having that. And I think that's a good analogy for why God had us. Why he created us. He wanted to know us. He knew there would be a Sherwood Oaks Community Church someday that would be full of people like you that would come out on a rainy Sunday with ice and say, I want a fellowship with each other. I want a fellowship with God. God knew what he was doing. He, he made us so that we would follow him, and many of us do. Let me go on to the third point, though. You know, we, we're so tempted to blame God. Bad things happen, you know, God's at fault. And we point at him and we blame him. But point three, a third point of light says, uh, the cause behind most human suffering is human. And we tend to not think about this. We tend to say God should change things. But a lot of what we're mad about or, or feeling hurt by is things that people do to people. In fact, ironically, it's often things God told us not to do to each other. Um, let me give you some examples. Uh, you know, I mentioned the earthquake in Taiwan. When I checked the report last night, it was just a handful of people died. I mean, it's sad that some people died, but I was shocked after seeing those buildings on their, you know, like 40 whatever degree angles that Hundreds or thousands weren't killed. It was a very small number. Less than the Las Vegas shooter killed in just a matter of moments. Um, I know natural disasters can be a lot worse than that, but usually they're moderate in terms of actual numbers of people that die compared to what we do to each other in wars and famine when we have enough food to feed the entire planet and yet Unjust systems often keep food from getting where it's most needed. Um, Dinesh D'Souza wrote a book, and he estimated in this book, it's called uh, What's So Great About Christianity. He said, based on estimates, just three evil regimes in the 20th century, namely Mao's China, Stalin's Soviet Union, and Hitler's Germany, combined murdered over a hundred million people in the 20th century. A hundred million people. One person tried to add up and compare how many people die from natural disasters versus man-made things that kill people. He said about 90% of deaths are probably human-caused. And I think that's probably about right. Now, that doesn't make the pain any less 
But before we blame God, let's realize we're, do, you know, we're doing this to ourselves. And in fact, I, I started to say a minute ago, you know, God told us not to do this stuff. 100 million people got murdered in front of a God who said, thou shalt not murder. So we're disobeying him and hurting ourselves and each other. And I used to think of the Ten Commandments as God trying to take away our fun or something. No, he's trying to protect us. He, he, he doesn't just want you to not kill people. He wants no one killing you. Uh, he doesn't just want us not to steal other people's stuff. He doesn't want anyone stealing your stuff. He tells you not to commit adultery, not just so you won't be impure, but he doesn't want anyone else coming after your spouse. I mean, this is a loving, good God trying to say, you know, if you'd pay attention, we could get rid of about 90% of the suffering out there. So let's not blame God for the things we do for ourselves. Sometimes, you know, people smoke for 50 years and then they're mad at God that they get lung cancer. Now again, I'm not trying to be unempathetic to people that suffer for whatever reason. I think we should be loving and patient and we know we're all part of the problem. But much of what we blame God for uh, really is things that we're responsible for as humans. Now that's moral evil. When we choose to disobey God and we sin, theologians call that moral evil. The next point, point four, gets to what's called natural evil. Uh, point four says we live in a fallen world. <clears throat> a fallen world. Uh, as a byproduct of the moral disobedience of going back to the garden, Adam and Eve sinned and it brought a curse on the planet. We live in a cursed cosmos. It's not the way it's supposed to be. People say, this world is unjust. Uh, or the famous line in Lion King, you know, life's not fair. You know, well, life's not fair in this setting right now. The world is a mess. It's not the way God created it. It's not the way it's going to end up, but it's the way it is right now. And because of moral evil, it brought a curse that brought natural evil. And so we do have, you know, the things we talked about, hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, floods, fires, on and on. And it's because of this that the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, he says, all of creation is waiting eagerly for the day when God will reveal his children. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it'll join God's children. And I love this phrase. It'll join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. The NIV says all of creation groans, waiting for God to come and make things right again. Things are screwed up. They're not the way they're supposed to be. But that's the world we live in. And that explains a lot of what we deal with and what we suffer through. And it's why Jesus said, in this world you're going to suffer because the world's not right right now. So the natural question there is, why doesn't God just come fix it? You know, he's a just God. Why doesn't he come and deal with the evil? Why doesn't he make things right? Well, Point five says, God will finally judge evil. But let's not rush him on this one, okay? Uh, be careful what you wish for. It, it's, it's easy to say, I wish he'd just come fix it now and get rid of all the evil. Well, I like what one person asked. He said, if God came tonight at midnight and vanquished all evil, 
How many of us would be around to watch Good Morning America tomorrow? Um, you know, there's evil in a lot of places, and God's rooting it out, and he's growing us up, and he's reaching people. And so let's not rush his judgment or his, him coming and, you know, bringing that culmination of history. Uh, and in fact, there's a verse that speaks very specifically to this. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, but rather he is patient. And that's the key word here. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. Why is God waiting? Why doesn't he clean things up? Might be because of you. He wants you to come and, and, and trust in him, to become his child, to receive his salvation. Or it might be because of your kids or your parents or your brother-in-law or your co-workers, your classmates at school. People in this world that God's saying, I don't want to come and judge them. Jesus, you know, it says in John 3, 17, God didn't come for judgment. He came to bring peace, to bring forgiveness. He's, he's holding out on judgment patiently. The Bible says he is long-suffering and compassionate, but ultimately he will judge evil. Ultimately has to make things right. Norman Geisler, a theologian and apologist, said this. He said, blaming God for not yet judging evil is like reading two-thirds of a novel and then throwing it down saying, it's a lousy book. The author didn't finish the plot. Well, that's dumb. Finish the book. And you can read the rest of the book and see how God will judge this world ultimately. He will bring resolution. He will balance the books. You say this world isn't just. Justice is coming. And with it, uh, for those of us that follow him, reward. I like a story a British pastor tells where he uh, interviewed a young boy who had been in a horrific accident at an early age and had spent like half his life in hospitals and multiple surgeries trying to correct the damage. And this kid had been through so much. And this pastor said, hey, you know, how are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm doing well. He was pretty positive. He goes, well, how do you feel about God with all you've been through? He goes, oh, I love God. He said, really? He said, I'm glad to hear that, but don't, don't you feel sometimes angry with what's gone through, you know, what you've gone through? And I love this. The kid said, well, it's been really hard. I got to be honest about that. But he said, God has all of eternity to make it up to me. And that's a good reminder. God will come and balance the books. And if you follow him and you serve him, there is reward and recompense later. Sixth point addresses the issue. I think sometimes we think of God sitting off in his distant, lofty throne room, you know, looking down, sort of like we watch animals at the zoo, you know, like, oh, isn't it interesting? We're down here suffering. He's just watching. That's a false picture. God is a loving, heavenly Father who cares deeply about what we're going through. And again, warned us about what we're going through and told, you know, tried to help us not go through a lot of what we're going through. But more than that, now that we're going through it, it says in John 3.16, it says, God so loved, the Father so loved the world that he was willing to send his only begotten Son you know, into the world to suffer with us and for us so that we could have salvation. 
Now, if you're a parent, can you imagine sending your only son or only daughter into a situation where you know they're going to face destruction for the sake of people that hate them? I mean, can you imagine what kind of love this is? And more than the father, the son said, here I am, send me, the eternal son of God, sinless son of God, has all the perks of heaven for eternity. And he says, all right, I'm willing to let go of that to go down there in that moral filth and live among it and ultimately die for it. This is mind-blowing to me. Uh, listen to this passage from uh, Philippians chapter 2. It's an ancient creed that Paul records. And it's talking about Jesus. He, he says, though he was God, you know, Jesus was eternally the second person of the Trinity. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God, meaning the Father, uh, as something to cling to or, or grasp and, and, and be unwilling to let go of. Rather, it said he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position. He came and took the position of a servant or a slave. And he was born as a human being. And more than that, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself all the way to the point of obedience, uh, of dying a criminal's death on a cross. You've probably seen the Passion of the Christ movie, and a lot of people said it's just too graphic. It's, it's so bloody. And uh, Lee Strobel interviewed Mel Gibson when that movie was coming back. He goes, he, a lot of people say, Mel, why didn't you tone it back a little bit? He goes, dude, I did. And really, when you study the floggings and the crucifixion and what people went through, you know, as, as graphic as it was and as horrific as Jesus' physical punishing was, as you see in that film, it was probably worse than that. Sometimes people that went through that were unrecognizable by the time they were put on the cross. Jesus went through all of that because he loves us. And the physical suffering wasn't even the worst part. The spiritual rift between him and the Father, as he, as the Bible says, became a curse for us. And he became sin for us sinners. Is just, we can't comprehend it. That's how much God loves us. And that's how involved God is on a personal level for our sake, so that he could reach us. And as a result, we have an empathetic Savior who gets it because he's been through it. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 4 says this. He says, this priest, high priest of ours, it's describing Jesus, said, he understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. And then I love this. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will find his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. He's a God who gets it because he suffered for us, he suffered with us, and now he can help us with our suffering if we'll just go to him. And then finally, number seven. This is good news. God can bring good and will bring good out of the bad for those of us who follow him. The verse is Romans 8, 28, where it says that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, all of us who are true Christians, God promises to bring good out of the bad in our lives. Now be very careful here. It's not saying that the bad stuff is good. 
You know, Nabil's cancer was not a good thing. His dying is not a good thing. Jesus called death the final enemy. It's an enemy. So the Bible doesn't call bad things good. But what it says is that God's able to take that bad thing and, and bring good out of it. He does this like spiritual jujitsu thing, you know, and, and somehow brings good out of bad things and promises to do that, not to everybody. Sometimes people glibly quote, quote this verse like it's a promise to everyone. This is a promise to those of us who will follow him. For us, and this is a good reason to follow him, if you're not yet, he promises to bring good out of even the bad. Now, how does he do that? Uh, C.S. Lewis says that God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks through our conscience. But he shouts at us through our pain. He says the pain is God's megaphone to arouse a sleeping world, to, to wake us up spiritually. And a lot of times the suffering we go through makes us finally look up and say, I think I need help here. I've hit bottom. I'm looking up. I need God. I mean, that's the principle behind the 12-step programs. It's like, okay, you hit bottom. Finally, you're ready for a higher power. Now just get the right one. His name is Jesus. But God uses the pain in our lives to wake us up. Um, think of Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, horrific story where he's betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, goes through years of imprisonment, false accusations, people make promises and forget about him. He suffers, but he keeps trusting God. And God ultimately not only brings him out of all that, but elevates him to like vice president of the land under the Pharaoh. And then it all comes full circle. And he ends up in that position, able to save the lives of his brothers and his father and his people who are starving because of a famine. God brought good out of really bad stuff for Joseph. And he wants to do that for you. And I like what Joseph said. He said, what you intended for evil, God used for good. That's what God can do. I like what Lee Strobel says. He says, God took the worst possible thing that ever happened, the death of the Son of God on a cross, and turned it into the best possible thing that could happen, your salvation for all of eternity. God does that jujitsu thing if we co cooperate with him, if we trust him and if we turn to him. And that's what God wants to do in your life. We just need to respond appropriately. And I'm going to end in just a minute with what our response needs to be as we go through these things. I want to just pause for a minute before I do that and, and mention a couple things about some tools we have to help us with these kinds of issues, with the problem of evil, but lots of other questions. You know, as we're going through this whole Room for Doubt series, we're dealing with all kinds of questions that can trip us up in our faith and keep people from coming to Christ if they don't know good answers. So I want to mention a couple resources I want to tell you about tonight, okay? First of all, um, we, I've brought a couple of books, and we have pictures of them, and I know football's over, but just for uh, illustration, the book on the left is defense, the book on the right is offense, if that helps to understand. The message I just gave came out of the book on the left, The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. We did a survey of a thousand of us all over North America and found out the questions we're most afraid of, the questions we feel not prepared to answer. 
And we took the top 10 of those questions and I wrote chapters on each of them. And this is just kind of a handbook for you, for your kids, for, especially for students. I mean, uh, I think we have some high school students. I mean, you guys are getting hit with this stuff, right? Uh, these are resources that can really help you get answers to those questions. And I actually had a guy from a youth group buy a bunch of these for junior high students because they're getting hit early these days. Um, but anyway, that one answers 10 of the top questions. The book on the right is the offense. And I give 20 arguments for the Christian faith from philosophy, science, history, archaeology, the life of Jesus, things related to the Bible, all kinds of evidence, all represented by the red arrows to show that there's great reasons to believe and trust the Christian faith. You can have a confident faith in Christ. So I just wanted you to know we brought those resources. They're out at the table. Uh, we're having a sale. It's almost a two-for-one deal if you get them both. And I'll be out there to talk to you if you'd like to uh, talk afterwards. Um, but just think of people in your life who have questions. And those can be great tools for them as well as for you to help you answer those questions. The other thing I want to mention is tonight, I know you've heard about it, but a lot of you are thinking, well, that's for other people. And let me tell you, tonight at 6 o'clock is for you and your friends and your family. Because we all have questions. They may be our own questions, things we don't get, or they may be questions other people in our lives are going to ask us. And so whether you have your own question or just you want to hear what other people ask, tonight at 6, we're going to have a great time. This is my favorite thing to do is, is Q&As. And it's going to be no holds barred. You never know what someone might ask tonight or what you might want to ask. But more than that, I said, bring your friends. Maybe you have someone at work that likes to you know, give you a hard time and ask you hard questions about your faith. Bring them. Just call them. Say, you know, you're always asking these questions. Pick on someone your own size. Come with me tonight, and you can ask this guy your questions. And this is stuff I've been studying for decades. I, you know, I'm not cocky about it. There's hard questions. But I'm going to come prayed up, studied up, and do my best to really shed light on all kinds of issues tonight. And I'm going to start with a story of two high school students that lost their faith. And I'm going to talk about what happened in their lives. So come back tonight. Now here's my last thoughts. How do we respond to this problem of evil and pain and suffering? Well, the natural response is what I said earlier, what I asked and a lot of other people asked when Nabil died. We say, why God? Why did you allow this? And that's a natural question to ask. But Don Cousins, a friend of mine who's a pastor, he says, if you get stuck on the why God question, you'll become bitter. And you start blaming God and it just poisons your soul. He said, you got to move intentionally past saying, why God, to the second question, and that is, okay, I, don't, I maybe don't fully understand it, but God, what's next? How do I move beyond this? How do I grow through it? How do I experience the good you want to bring out of it? And for some of you, the what's next might be to, to acknowledge Christ and receive his forgiveness and, and come into a relationship with him so that those promises apply to you. And so I'd urge you if, you, if you don't know him, trust him today. Let him become your savior and your leader of your life. But if you're a Christian, it might be, I need to learn more. I need to get my questions answered. I need to get in my group and... Um, 
you know, really hash these things out. Uh, it may be something you need to do on a personal level in prayer. Listen to God and, and trust Him. The Bible says the Christian life is a life of faith. It's a life of trust, trusting Him and taking the next step as He leads you forward. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.